So Judges 2, starting at verse 6 and going to verse 23. The word of the Lord. After Joshua had dismissed the Israelites, they went to take possession of the land, each to his own inheritance. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110, and they buried him in the land of his inheritance at Timnath, Harris, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gaish. After that whole generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation grew up, who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them up out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them. They provoked the Lord to anger because they forsook him and served Baal and the Ashtoreths. In his anger against Israel, the Lord handed them over to raiders who plundered them. He sold them to their enemies all around, whom they were no longer able to resist. Whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them, just as he had sworn to them. They were in great distress. Then the Lord raised up judges, who saved them out of the hands of these raiders. And yet they would not listen to their judges, but they prostituted themselves to other gods and worshipped them. Unlike their fathers, they quickly turned from the way in which their fathers had walked, the way of obedience to the Lord's commands. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge. He saved them out of the hands of their enemies, as long as the judge lived. For the Lord had compassion on them as they groaned under those who oppressed and afflicted them. But when the judge died, the people returned to ways even more corrupt than those of their fathers, following other gods and serving and worshiping them. They refused to give up their evil practices and their stubborn ways. Therefore, the Lord was very angry with Israel and said, Because this nation has violated the covenant that I laid down for their forefathers and has not listened to me, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations Joshua left when he died. I will use them to test Israel and see whether they will keep the way of the Lord and walk in it as their forefathers did. The Lord had allowed these nations to remain. He did not drive them out at once by giving them into the hands of Joshua. This is the word of the Lord for us this evening. 
In the church I grew up in back in Michigan, the nursery, it was a small church, there was just one nursery, infant, toddler, the whole shebang. And the nursery had a mural on the wall. It was painted by one of the older church ladies who had a knack for painting big-eyed creatures and rosy-cheeked people. It was the perfect artist for a church nursery. And the story she chose to depict on the wall of the nursery was of Noah and his ark full of animals. It, It turned out really quite cute. There was a brown wooden ark. It was afloat on blue water. There was adorable elephants and zebras on the deck. There was a giraffe sticking its head out of one of the portholes. And there was a bushy bearded Noah looking like one of our grandpas waving into the nursery from the center of the mural. It was cute. It was kid-friendly. It was perfect for a church nursery. And this image, I, I grew up in that nursery, it formed and shaped my imagination for the story of Noah and the ark. Cute animals, smiling Noah, and a big rainbow over all of it. Imagine my surprise when I read the real story later in life. There were the animals in the ark. There was a rainbow, thanks be to God. But there was little else that was familiar when I read the actual story. There was drowning of people and animals, of everything that had breath. In my imagination, that nursery wall turned into an eerie stillness as the ark floated over bodies and cities. And there was the matter of God's anger in the midst of it all. All of a sudden, this well-known story that had formed the mural, that had formed and shaped my imagination as a kid, it ran headlong into the real story from Scripture. And it wasn't familiar anymore. It was certainly no longer kid-friendly. And I found myself, when I first read it, at a loss as to how to understand how not only to read the story, but how to understand God and his anger in it. And if you have read through Judges any time recently as an adult, this book can leave us in a similar situation where we know stories from Sunday school of Gideon, of Samson, these heroes of the faith. And all of a sudden, as we read the actual story from Scripture, they become unfamiliar to us. Strange. And where we wrestle as we enter into the book of Judges, not not only with the reality of our former Sunday school heroes that we were supposed to emulate, but also the very divine reality of an angry God, a jealous God. So as we walk into these stories in Judges together over the next seven weeks, or seven evening services, however that expands out over the weeks. We will encounter familiar stories like Samson. We'll encounter unfamiliar ones like Ehud. And you may find yourself thrown off balance more than a little bit 
And that's okay. Because sometimes a little disorientation is necessary to clear away a far too simple and sanitized story that keeps us from going deeper into the beautiful, complex story of salvation that scripture shows us between God and God's people. But this evening, in chapters one and two, we are just at the beginning. We are not diving into the deep end yet. We're preparing for it, but we're not there yet. Judges opens, it opens basically where the previous book ended. The book of Joshua ends with Joshua's death. And Judges opens, surprisingly, with Joshua's death. So it's, it's a time of leadership transition. So a previous generation is ending, a new generation is rising up. Joshua was a successor to Moses. The book of Joshua actually begins with Moses' death and, and Joshua uh, coming into leadership. Joshua was a good man, faithful servant of God, who led Israel into the land God promised their fathers and mothers generations before. And as Judges begins, the remaining leaders of Israel's tribes, they're ready to finish the job that Joshua has led them into. They're ready to take the land, to claim their inheritance, to make their home in the promised land. In chapter one, which we didn't read, but if you give just a little cursory glimpse at in your, in your Bibles, you're going to get lost in a whole lot of very hard-to-pronounce names of towns and people and warriors and battles and things that happens in specific detail as the tribes of Israel enter into the land. Chapter 1 tells the story of a military invasion. It's fast-paced. It's warriors' names. It's armies sacking town after town. They're gaining ground. They're winning the war. And again and again, throughout that first chapter, Scripture tells us that the Lord was with them. His hand was against their enemies. The Lord was with them. His hand was against their enemies. So things are going according to plan. They're hopeful. God is with them. They're burning towns. They're taking land back. But things don't quite go as planned. The tribes of Israel ordered by God to clear the land completely, don't. The second half of, of the first chapter is a long list of places and people that were not driven out by the tribes of Israel. They stayed right where they were. And the Israelites made their home alongside enemies and neighbors who worshipped idols and other gods. And right before we pick up our reading in chapter 2, an angel of the Lord appears to the people of Israel, rebuking them for their failure to follow God's orders. And the angel makes it clear that this is not just a military failure. They're not just talking strategy. The angel makes it clear that this is a failure of heart. It is a failure of faith. And that's where we come in, where we joined at verse 6 in chapter 2. 
And Judges in chapters one and two, it, it almost has, it has two different introductions. So there's the part that goes through chapter one into where the angel appears to them, and then there's our section, this introduction, that kind of resets the time clock. So the first chapter starts with Joshua had basically just died. Israelites were going into the land. And right where we began, what, did, what was the very first line that we read in verse six? After Joshua had dismissed the Israelites, they went to take possession of the land. So there's two introductions to the book of Judges. There's the one that's focused on the military invasion, the specific details. It, it gets down into the dust and the blood of men fighting each other for their lives. And then there's the second one, the second part that we read. And it begins with Joshua alive, him leading the people. They're gathered together under his leadership. They're being faithful. They're following his instructions to go out into the land to obey God's commandment to take their assigned portion of the inheritance through war and not compromise. And all the military details of, of the first introduction that we didn't read together, all the details, verses upon verses, are almost dismissed in one line in our introduction, where it says, after Joshua had dismissed the Israelites, they went to take possession of the land, each to their own inheritance. In that one sentence, it is everything that has come before, just at the beginning of Judges. All the details, all the cities, all the names. This part glosses over it in one sentence. Where the first part of the introduction to Judges goes specific and detailed in military exploits of God's people, this part of the introduction, this second introduction, it takes a step back and it gets a good look at the heart of God's people. That's why you get this summary statement in, in verse 7. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Under Joshua and, and his leadership, Israel was faithful to God. They remembered all that the Lord had done. They knew the generation who had known slavery. They remembered the tales that they heard in the wilderness, the tales of the plagues and the Passover, the story of the Red Sea and the Exodus. They themselves had known Moses' leadership, the strength of his character, the way he understood the God they followed in their wilderness journey. And this generation trust God's promises to give them a land, to give them a home, to give them a place to belong, where they were free to serve their God and worship him alone. But the faithful heart of God's people didn't last into the next generation. This part continues. After that whole generation, Joshua and his other elders, after that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, Joshua and the elders who had outlived him, 
another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. And then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So one faithful generation who had seen the great things that the Lord had done gives way to a generation that doesn't. Why didn't they know? Why did this generation not know the Lord or know the story of salvation? Did the previous generation just take it for granted that their children would know and love and follow the Lord who led them up out of Egypt? Did they take it for granted that the previous generation would understand the stories of God saving them? I mean, did this new generation simply not listen to the previous one? We have no idea why. We're not told why. For whatever reason, faith and trust in the Lord of Israel wasn't passed down from one generation to another. And so this new generation, we're told, walked away from the Lord, the God of their ancestors who brought them up out of Egypt, and they followed and they worshipped the gods of the peoples around them. Take your pick. And we're told in verse 12 that this betrayal, this forgetting, this walking away, this placing their trust in a bunch of other gods, it aroused the Lord's anger. It made God angry. Now, before we go any further, we have to have a little bit of context. There are three pieces I think we have to keep in mind as we continue, not just here in chapter two, in our portion of scripture this evening, but through our series on judges. And the three pieces are covenant, Character and cycles. See what I did there? Those are three C's. I am not this kind of preacher, but I super love this right now. Covenant, character, and cycles. Forgive that cycles is a soft C and not a hard C, and it doesn't quite hang together, but just go with it. So covenant, character, and cycles. Nothing in Judges, whether here in chapter 2 or the remainder of the book, will make any sense to us if we are not thinking covenant. The covenant between God and God's people, the, the, the relationship, the covenant signed and sealed on Mount Sinai, a covenant that declared the special relationship between God and Israel, a covenant of faithful love and obedience, of deep trust and right living, of blessings and curses. Throughout scripture, God says, I will be their God and they will be my people. And it is the most beautiful summary of covenant relationship of belonging and of belonging to each other. I will be their God. They will be my people. One of Joshua's last acts before he died was to renew the covenant between God and Israel. If you have your Bible still open, if you just flip 
Mine's a large print, so it's a few more pages. But just to the end of Joshua, chapter 24, last chapter. And at the very end of Joshua, he brings all of Israel together before God and renews the covenant between them. He reminds them what God has done for them. He brings them back to the law, to the commandments. He remembers, he reminds them of what God has promised, how he has been faithful to his promises. And it's this long section of of rehearsing the salvation history between God and God's people. And he reminds them of what they promised to do in return. They promise to love the Lord their God with all of their heart, their soul, their mind, their strength, to be faithful, to serve well, and to obey, not to follow other gods. It's pretty explicit. And Joshua reminds them in this whole kind of rehashing of, of God's covenant relationship with his people, Joshua reminds them of the punishment, of the consequences of failing to keep this covenant. If you look at 24 verse 19, Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord. He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. For if you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after he has been good to you. But the people said to Joshua, no, 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 no. We will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen to serve the Lord. Yes, yes, we are witnesses, they replied. Now then, said Joshua, throw away the foreign gods that are among you. Yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord our God and obey him. Cut scene to Judges 1 and 2 And this very recent covenant renewal where they said, yes, we will obey. Yes, we don't have other gods. Yes, we will serve the Lord. Yes, we will take the punishments. Yes, we will take the consequences. We're going to serve so well. And then we're plunked right into chapter 2. Right after Joshua has died. Right after that covenant renewal. And they've already failed. They've already dropped the ball. The book of Judges is what happens when Israel doesn't keep her promises. The book of Judges is the consequences of breaking the covenant, of what happens when the people of God forget their God and do what is right in their own eyes. And it's not pretty. But the book of Judges also shows us what the Lord does when Israel forgets him when they break covenant with him, when they walk away from him. But for that, we need to talk about the second C, character. One of the most repeated descriptions of God, of the character of God throughout scripture, is one that we said together um, when we were going through Psalm 106. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he arbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. 
For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. All of the aspects of God's character, his compassion, kindness, his love, anger, are on display not only in our portion of scripture this evening, but throughout this book. Again and again and again and again and again and again and again, Israel will bow to other idols, thumb their noses at the Lord and just walk away. And again and again and again and again and again and again, they will make God angry. Even though the Lord is slow to anger, they will push God there. And then the consequences of covenant breaking are triggered. Here in chapter 2, they arouse the Lord's anger and the punishment that was laid out in Joshua in that covenant renewal, well, it follows. That's why we're said that the Lord gave them into the hands of raiders who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around, and they were no longer able to resist. Whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them, just as he had sworn to them. There's nothing that they should be surprised by in God's actions. He is being true to God's character. And the people of God are brought low. They're oppressed by their enemies. They're broken. They're defeated. The Lord's hand was against them. But then the Lord who is slow to anger, abounding in love, does not treat us as our sins deserve, hears the cry of his people and rushes back in to save them. Not because they're repentant, the, the cry here is not a cry of repentance. It is purely a cry of anguish. And God rushes in to save them, not because they're repentant, but because of his love, because of who God is. And that brings us to the third C, cycles. In verse 14, the Lord, in his anger, sends raiders to terrorize his people. And then in verse 16, the Lord raises up judges who save them out of the hands of those raiders. In anger, the Lord sends judgment. And then in his great love, sends salvation. And then instead of repenting in the face of that redemption, God's people go right back to covenant breaking. And then they arouse God's anger again. And the Lord sends judgment and enemies, and raiders. And then his people cry out. And then, in his great love, he sends salvation in the form of a new judge to free his people, to lead them back to him. And then the people go right back to covenant breaking. And they arouse God's anger again. And then they cry out. And then the Lord, in his great love, and it goes on and on and on and on and on, just like that. The cycle repeats itself over and over and over and over and over throughout the whole book of Judges with diminishing returns. You would think the people would learn that there would be a little bit of 
learning, a little bit of turning to God that maybe this cycle is leading them towards more faithfulness. You would be wrong. This cycle is leading them deeper and deeper into their own stubborn hearts, into evil ways. Just look at verses 18, 18 through 19. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, so that happened again and again and again and again, the Lord was with the judge and saved them out of the hands of enemies as long as that judge lived. For the Lord relented because of their groaning under those who oppressed and afflicted them. But when the judge died, the people returned to ways even more corrupt than their ancestors. They refused to give up their evil practices and their stubborn ways. So here at the beginning of the book of Judges, spoiler alert, it does not go well. It does not end well. Judge after judge will come and go, and God's people, instead of becoming more faithful, as one would hope, will only become more corrupt. Until this book ends in one of the darkest and disturbing scenes in all of scripture. So why in the world are we spending time in this book, of all books? Aren't there happier places to go in scripture? If you were with us last week, during the morning service, we, we read a bit from Paul's letter to the Romans, from chapter 15. And there's a small portion of that passage that we didn't spend too much time on, but I wanted to bring, I wanted to remind us of it this evening. Paul writes in chapter 15 in Romans, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. When Paul wrote that, he was not thinking of the gospels and his epistles, the ones that we like to go to. That was not part of his scripture package. Paul was thinking of what is now our Old Testament, of the first five books of Moses, the Psalms and the prophets, and this book, Judges. This season of life between God and God's people. This violent book of failure and covenant breaking, of flawed leaders and unjust systems, of stubborn generations and evil practices, has something to teach us. And not just to teach us, but to encourage us. To point us to the hope we have in our faithful God. Because who of us doesn't have cycles in our own lives? A doubt that keeps coming back. A habit that we just can't quit. A family hurt that just keeps going from one generation to another, inflicting harm. 
or our own individual cycles of sin and failure that doesn't ever seem to stop or get particularly better. As we journey through Judges, we will see again and again and again and again that our God does not walk away from those he loves. It does not matter how deep the sin, how constant our cycles are of falling short, God does not fail in his promises to his people. We may be stubborn and rebellious. We may fail and we may walk away again and again and again. But the God in the book of Judges shows that he does not. Instead, we will see again and again and again how the Lord remains faithful constantly seeking the deliverance of his people, constantly and unendingly returning to God's people with salvation. In the book of Judges, we get a glimpse of the character of God. A character that shows us that There's no kind of Old Testament angry God and New Testament God of love, but that the character of God has always been one who pursues his people without end. The book of Judges will point us to the character of God who finally breaks the cycle of violence and sin and darkness in the person of Jesus Christ Where on a cross, he kept his promises no matter what. No matter the cost. As we travel together through Judges over the next weeks, may you be slightly disoriented. May you be thrown slightly off balance as we enter into these stories so that you can hear them anew. May you be constantly surprised by the good character of the God who loves us. May you know the unfailing faithfulness of our covenant-keeping God. And may the Spirit work in your life to break your cycles of shame and sin, giving you hope, encouragement, and endurance. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please pray with me. Our covenant God, you are our God, we are your people. And we thank you for your faithfulness to us, even when we are unfaithful. We thank you for sending your son, Jesus, into this world at such great cost. Not because we are particularly precious or worth it, but because you love us so much. We do not deserve this, 
but you gift it to us anyway. So thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you that you keep your promises. Thank you that we can know you and share from one generation to the next the great things you have done for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.